You're listening to The Good GP, the podcast for busy GPs. Hi, and welcome to The Good GP. I'm Sean Stevens, and today I'm interviewing our regular guest, Professor Paul Effler, Senior Medical Advisor with the Communicable Disease Control Directorate for the WA Department of Health and Clinical Professor at UWA. Welcome, Paul. Hey, thanks for having me. Now, before we start, Paul, I need to mention that the information we present today is current as at Wednesday, 24th of February, 2021, and any of our listeners will need to check currency before acting on this advice. We also want to stress that today we are only discussing the Pfizer vaccine, which is currently in the early stages of being rolled out. It's not planned to be rolled out via general practice because it must be stored at minus 70 degrees, but us general practitioners will be answering queries about the vaccine and will be treating delayed reactions and side effects of it. And that's the focus of our podcast today. So, Paul, thank you very much for all of the work that you're doing on the vaccine rollout. I know that you've been working incredibly long hours and yet you still manage to find time for education and GPs. So, look, thank you. It's very much appreciated. Well, we see GPs as a really important partner in this rollout ultimately. Yeah, excellent. Thank you. So if I can start with the vaccine counselling piece, any decision in medicine needs to take into account risks and benefits. What can you tell us about the risks and the benefits of this particular Pfizer vaccine? Sure. Let's start with the benefits. It's pretty straightforward. You know, the clinical trials show it's highly effective, perhaps 95% effective at preventing lab-confirmed COVID illness. Um, And so that would be the benefit. And it's also, it looks like, you know, the data would suggest it protects against serious illness and also death. Those would be the benefits for somebody that's potentially going to get exposed. The risk, actually, the risks are pretty acceptable as well. So let's talk about the bigger risk is would be for an allergic response. And initially, there were some questions whether the Pfizer vaccine was, uh, you know, prone to cause anaphylaxis more frequently than we are used to. The data is there's been almost 75 million doses administered worldwide, I believe, which suggests that anaphylactic-like response is probably on an order of five per million, which is not far off many other vaccines we use. And it seems like the number's been coming down as the familiarity with the vaccine grows. So that's really the major risk that's been identified. There haven't been any other uh, syndromes that have been you know, shown to be caused by the vaccine itself. Having said that, the vaccine, it is reactogenic. And most people, like 75%, will have a, a sore, painful arm, you know, have fatigue, muscle aches and pains, potentially chills, and a, a fever in maybe 10 to 15%, depending on what dose we're talking about. Mm, okay. One of the other things that my patients have asked about and have mentioned is protection of their loved ones at home. So the people that are part of this 1A rollout are all high-risk people, so frontline health workers, uh, hotel quarantine workers, ports, uh, airports, etc. So they're high risk and they want to know, will this protect my wife and kids or husband and kids at home? Sure. That's a Uh, really good question. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the clinical trials aren't designed usually to look at transmission because you're following up tens of thousands of people to see whether they become ill. And it usually does not extend to their household contacts and follow up of those individuals in most settings. But we have a couple pieces of information that would suggest that the Pfizer vaccine is going to 
be protective against transmission or help, at least help reduce it. And, and one is that it is very effective at stopping symptomatic illness. And we know from published research that uh, people that are symptomatic with COVID are more likely to transmit than those people that are asymptomatic. So if you're stopping those infections, it makes sense you're going to have some impact. And then we have recently this data that's come out of Israel. And th these are for people that actually did get COVID after being vaccinated, but they have a lower indication of viral load in their PCR specimen, meaning they have higher CT values, which actually, uh, you know, cycle threshold values, which actually translates to lower amounts of the virus. And there is also good evidence to show that people that have, you know, high viral loads in their in their specimens are much more likely to transmit. So those two pieces of information, while not conclusive, uh, would suggest that someone who's vaccinated would be less likely to acquire and transmit to other individuals. Great. So good news. Okay, turning now to the complications that we GPs might see, given that this is being rolled out at hubs and not through general practice, we're unlikely to see the anaphylaxis, which usually occurs in the first half hour, but we are likely to see complications occurring after that. So can you give us some idea of what complications GPs might see anywhere between one hour and say one to three months after the first or the second vaccination and how we might treat those? Sure. Well, really the most common side effects that I described before, they typically come on somewhere between uh, 12 and 24 hours and they usually resolve on their own without needing any treatment. Obviously, patients can be advised to take ibuprofen or acetaminophen if they're having a low-grade fever or muscle aches and pains that they want to address, but typically that would be this extent of it. I mean, we really tell um, patients, counsel patients, that if later on after that period, you know, the first 24 hours, if they feel like, or at any point really, if they feel like they're having an allergic reaction, they should seek medical attention. And they, while most of them will come on within 30 minutes, some of them can happen later and they should be evaluated. So that would be one thing that you might see people with non-emergent allergic reactions that, that should be assessed and, and obviously documented. Other than that, people that feel they've had new symptoms come on or unusual symptoms should seek medical attention. And people People whose symptoms, they appear after their vaccination, but they don't recover within a several days, they should seek consultation with their GP. And that's what they should be told when they're being vaccinated, just to make sure everything's okay, both as a vaccine reaction, because it might be something else uh, that needs to get sorted. So basically treat it like a reaction to pretty much any of the other vaccines we might be administering. There's nothing special that we need to watch out with this particular vaccine. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, the safety profile is looking very, very good. And, you know, as, as we discussed the, the allergic situation there, the, initially there was a thought that people that had severe allergies and carried an EpiPen all needed special consultation or special observation. But the Australasian Society for Clinical Immunology and Allergy has come out with some very detailed and useful uh, documentation online, guidance online. And I'd urge every GP to have a quick look at it. It's just one page, but it really describes that if you've had a history of allergy, including anaphylaxis to food, drugs, venom, or latex, you can be vaccinated and just wait for 15 minutes. There's no special precaution. And people with allergic conditions like asthma and atopic dermatitis, they can get vaccinated without any precautions as well. The ones that would have precautions are individuals that have a known allergic response to polyethylene glycol, which is a component of the a Pfizer vaccine. But that's really rare, you know, probably less than 50 instances reported in medical literature over several decades, or someone that has a, a known mast cell activation disorder that needs treatment. So the number of patients that's going to apply to are really rare. So most patients mm. can be counseled even if they have you know allergies to certain things that it's safe to go ahead and get the vaccine. 
Great. Now, given that all these people in the 1A are high risk, what do we GPs do if they come in with a fever? Because that's one of the indications for, for a COVID swab. Should we be swabbing all of these people with a fever? How do we handle that? Well, our current guidance now, and I know this is being considered today or tomorrow, you know, as we speak, I should say, uh, by the Communicable Disease Network Australia, whether they want to put out formal guidance. But our current guidance is now is if you're having low grade fever and muscle aches and pains and headache and those things that we absolutely expect and are common with the vaccine, and you do not have uh, respiratory symptoms or rhinitis, which have not been reported as side effects of the vaccine. So you're only having these mild systemic symptoms and not respiratory symptoms that you do not immediately need to be tested or put into isolation. Obviously, if there's any doubt, it would be prudent to to get the person evaluated for COVID. In general, our risk in Australia is pretty low, but if you're working in a quarantine hotel, that risk is appreciable. So it comes down to a judgment call to some extent, but essentially the dividing point is whether there's any respiratory component whatsoever. And the other thing is if the fever persisted beyond just that day or two, which would be an immune reaction, then it would suggest that something else is going on and probably needs an evaluation. Great. Okay. Very sensible advice. So Paul, open question now. What advice would you have for our listeners? Anything special? Anything we should know? Well, I guess I would say there's really good guidance produced by the Australian Technical Advisory Group on Immunizations, ATAGI, on the Pfizer vaccine. From their website, you can get to some other materials as well that are really helpful. The Commonwealth has produced information to help GPs uh, address patient concerns. There's a consent form for vaccination if you want to use it, although written consent's not required. It does have the sort of a checklist. It has uh, information for uh, patients about the vaccine that you could provide them a link to in advance to, to look at it. And it actually has information on how to prepare for coming into your vaccination if you're a patient and what to do after you've been vaccinated. And it lists the symptoms I was talking about and, and says that if they're mild and in the right time frame, they're probably not of concern, but it also identifies those things that would make you want to talk to your GP after vaccination to see if more needs to be done. So those resources are out there and I would really encourage GPs to have a look, go to Atagi's website and through their links, you can find the Australian government's uh, detailed information for counseling and communicating to patients. Great. Thanks, Paul. And I should mention too, the college has two dedicated pages, one for COVID and one for COVID vaccination. And there's a COVID email that goes out on a regular basis. So if you're not getting those, please uh, contact the college and we can organise that for you. So thank you again, Paul. Please keep up the great work and uh, I'm sure we'll be speaking again soon. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Thanks, Sean. Thanks, Paul. 